0: Welcome to postburnout.com interviews, my name is Aaron Kavanagh and I'm the website's founder and editor-in-chief. Postburnout.com is a culture website dedicated to venerating burnt-out artists the world over. Our interviews are mainly recorded to be transcribed, but every now and again we release the audio in a series we call postburnout.com interviews. If you enjoy what we do, be sure to subscribe in this edition of postburnout.com interviews we speak with michael Tao, the author of the book extreme music from silence to noise to everything in between the book explores extreme genres of music and the people who make it we discuss the book the ethics of some of the recordings featured in the book how michael's background as a psychologist influenced the book the anthropological study of the book ai music the future of music the limitless possibility of music and more um yeah um so When I was reading your book, Extreme Music, I elected not to look at any uh, of the additional press you were doing, instead just choosing to interview you based on the text from the book itself. One thing I I think the book succeeded in was um, saying, setting out your thesis and sticking with it. But one thing I felt I didn't really get from your book was uh, a sense of who you are as the author and how, uh, what the kind of impetus was for this book. I was wondering if maybe you could explain that a little bit.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, So um, it's a big question. Let me figure out how I want to frame this. So, you know, at the core, um, the book is driven by my curiosity about some of the unusual and extreme music that I'd been exploring over many years. Um, I got into experimental music when I was a teenager, listening to a radio show called Brave New Waves, which would have Play from midnight until four a.m. Um, uh, so I used to tape it with cassettes from the radio, um, and then um, throughout my high school years and and beyond, I I would write about interview, you know, review music, including a lot of music on the experimental fringe. Um, but I always found myself fascinated by, um, uh, you know, wondering what the stories are behind some of the more extreme and unusual musical concepts that have been uh, produced. And, you know, the stories behind them, the the motivations for the people, um, the motivation, motivations of the people um, behind these things. So this book um, was uh, essentially a kind of long standing project I had running in the background over many years, where I would just email people or reach out to them and ask them like, you know, how did this come to be what is what is the story behind the unusual idea behind your like you know five quintillion year long composition or your um, CDR that comes buried in a package of rotten um, pasta uh, I think I'm not sure so I think in terms of why I'm interested is I, I just I think inherently um I'm I'm curious to know about, ideas and concepts, and I'm always curious to know more about people and their intentions and how they um, how to explain their behavior, which is probably in part why I'm also a psychiatrist. um, um, But certainly why I'm interested in uh, in this, uh, you know, these kind of unusual musical uh, ideas.
0: Yeah, when I, I was um, reading the book, there is a lot of um, concepts about um, music production as well as music theory and various other um, like actual kind of industry details. And um, I was wondering how much of that uh, did you know, how much of you had experience in and much of it was just purely research for this book?
1: How much I had? Sorry.
0: Did you just have any kind of prior experience too? So for example, you're explaining, um, like the book begins with uh, you explaining and um, the sound wars, for example, and you have mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about music production in order to, to kind of mm-hmm. um, to get that idea across. So like how, how, much, how much of that, how much kind of like musical knowledge did you have in that aspect versus how much of it was just solely based on research?
1: Um, very minimal, very minimal. Um, so I don't have like a background in, you know, as a recording engineer or anything like that. Actually, would you mind one second? I just need to, okay, I'm thanks. getting a page from the hospital. Give me one sorry, second.
0: Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: So sorry about that.
0: No, that's OK. Uh, do you have to go or?
1: No, no, it was just uh, it was Just a page I needed to deal with. Yeah, there no is.
0: Um, yeah, so as I was saying, so your background in engineering, you had none. So, when it came to kind of, um did you feel, I guess, confident in, in terms of transcribing that process, maybe coming from as sort of a, an autodidact perhaps?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my approach was to read about it, to learn about it. I even, you know, dug up some um, papers from um, like audio engineering journals. And so, uh, like, I think a big theme of my book is it's not... It's not overly technical. It's not overly like focused on theory. It's not It's not written in an academic way. Um, so, you know, it's possible that an audio engineer would read that chapter and say like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but my goal was simply to convey some of the core concepts in a, a readable way, like in the, to the same, uh, in the same way that I understand them, sure. um, yeah.
0: I think like yeah, yeah. I mean, I think writing about music can be somewhat abstract, especially when you don't have like an auditory aid to go along with it. Maybe with, in the case mm-hmm. of like an audio book, it could perhaps work. But I think when when you're talking about written work, I know for my writing, it can be very difficult too. And um, one yeah. thing I, I I think you're very, I think you're a very good writer in terms of. Um, uh like getting those ideas across and being didactic the one example i was noting was you're talking about speed core and you talk about how it went up to uh, 500 beats per minute which can be quite abstract so you said well mm-hmm. that's eight beats per second so just try and tap your tongue really quick eight times so mm-hmm. did you find like um yeah did you find like you had to do kind of mental gymnastics in order to try and you know <laughs> um convey some of that information
1: yeah yeah i think so like i, I don't know but you, I actually think you know, your website is is great. Um, I really like your writing style, and I really like the concept behind it. Um, and I think you 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 may agree that like reviews or music writing that just describes how something sounds um is uh, like a lot of it can be kind of dry to read. And nowadays, when people can just look things up on YouTube, it's sort of there's like less point to describe, like, this is a mid tempo song and the guitar sounding like, right. Um, so instead, I try to make the focus less on how things sounded, um, except in very pragmatic terms. Like, for example, try to tap your finger eight times, right? Which I think is just easier, easier to digest and more inherently interesting. Um, so, I, yeah, I would try, I guess. I would try when possible to come up with um, either uh, metaphors that help explain things or just like simple descriptions, like try tapping your fingers eight eight times a second. Yeah,
0: when it came to actually choosing the genres, I mean, obviously you have to do um, kind of editorial process, and I guess you can split hairs over the definition of extreme. You know, like um, like how would you kind of define that? I guess. Um, but yeah, what I was kind of wondering was like, uh, um. Yeah, when you, obviously you have to do an editorial process and choosing which um, genres to, to write about. How would you go about that? And do you think you'd, if potentially you wanted to make it a series, you think you'd have more for like a second or a third book even?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so how the book started was like a file folder on my computer with a bunch of Word documents. And the Word documents were just the core concepts. Like I had one for found music. I had one for really fast music. And as I would sort of collect my thoughts and organize things, I'd create a new word document or I might merge them um, uh, in order to try to put some organizational system on, on everything. I think one of the things that's easy to misunderstand about the book is, and this is my folly in calling it extreme music is you read it and you would assume that it's like going to be a description of, you know, extreme metal genres or power electronics, genres that are extreme. Um, Whereas really the book is about like conceptual extremes as they manifest in the music world. Um, So I imagine some people are probably disappointed that, you know, there's no, chapter on black metal Mm -hmm. um but there's books about black like all of those things have thing have a lot of writing about them that already exists so um really the book is more about conceptual extremes and so my my job was just to try to think of different genres or scenes that uh, represented conceptual extremes um and then explore them as best i could there were some chapters that or some chapters that i had started and then i didn't finish or I just chose to exclude so I was going to do one about plunder phonics as kind of a sidebar from the uh, the found music chapter but in the end um, I scrapped that idea both because there are other things written about plunder phonics and because it like it's hard to dissociate that from just the concept of sampling in music as a whole which um, you know obviously that's a that's like a huge topic that's outside of the uh, dominion of my book so Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, Um, (laughs) but it was an evolving process. I don't know what I, if I were to extend it. I don't know that there could be another volume, but um, potentially if there was another edition of the book, I might make some changes and add some some topics. Got any ideas?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> top of my head. Um, yeah, well, um, I, I think you did, like you were mentioning earlier, you kind of took this from a kind of anthropological kind of standpoint where you're trying to humanize it. I think like an interesting one is like... Um, harsh noise wall where it's like it seems like so absurd when you listen to it. it's like i don't know just television static it's like the beginning of poltergeist or something you're like why would someone listen to this and then you know you kind of just talk to people who are in that scene you kind of um you humanize it. i think you humanize the music you give it a sense of um i don't know you kind of personify it, i think in a little bit in a little way um, I was wondering how many of these genres were you familiar with prior to doing research, and and what was the kind of, I guess, what were the genres that kind of sparked the initial interest? I guess.
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So certainly, harsh noise wall was a genre I was aware of before I started writing this book, because um, for many years I would write like do reviews, interview. I used to run a zine, so um, I had come across harsh noise wall and reviewed different harsh noise wall um tapes and things Um, i even put out a harsh noise wall tape at one point Um, but uh more as an experiment than anything else um but um so so that was something that i knew about before um some of the genres of vaporwave i learned about while putting the book together I really I have a soft spot for that that chapter, even though it's a little bit of a departure from the topic, from extreme music concepts. And I imagine some people are like, why is this in the book? But um, I just felt it was so interesting. I couldn't um, not include it. So, um, yeah, part of the part of the topics were things I knew about before. and, And some of the topics were things I learned about along the way as I was just exploring things. Um, and I do have a fair number of harsh noise ball cassettes in my personal collection at home, <laughs> although I can't say I listen to them very frequently, partially because my tape player broke a little while ago.
0: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, and I think also like um, I mean, there there was a I think a sense of like intellectualizing a lot of music that could be in a lot of ways just kind of disregarded. One thing I think of is a porno grind, and um, your chapter on that kind of goes into a debate about like ethics and law and how morality kind of defines our law. And you're referencing Nietzsche, and it 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 seems like it goes in this like tangent. I was wondering. At some point did you ever feel like you were stretching a bit or did you ever mm-hmm. feel like no i'm fully committed I, I really believe there's more merit to this than you know maybe you get a first blush
1: are you thinking of the like the chapter about vulgar music and yeah it was, it was the Co- vulgar music
0: but in general i think you you know a lot of these musics I, I just read the book that could be um disregarded you do kind of link to um Artis- you give it artistic merit by linking it to a lot of artistic movements, particularly mm-hmm. dataism, which I think yep. a lot of, th- a lot of these artistic movements are anti-consumerist are anti, um, you know, they're, they're anti, I guess, capitalists in some ways. And, um, and, you know, a lot of them serve as, as, as a critique of that. I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's uh, the underlying um, linchpin, I guess, of a lot of these genres. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I was wondering, like, did you feel like, um, I don't know, did you feel like, at times, did you ever second guess yourself if you were like putting too much, like an English teacher putting too much uh, meaning behind? The
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think the I think the situations in which Dada and anti art come up, um, they're largely focused around like the the anti records, the silent records, the broken records chapters, and I think um, like I don't think I, I've imposed that um, way of interpreting the music on the music but rather a lot of the artists who've created anti-records um they themselves identify this as being in the tradition of dada um anti-art and also rec they also recognize the inherent contradictions of putting out music that is collected by collectors while also making a statement against like consumption of material um items so I, I feel like in that circumstance, um, I, I approach this theory agnostically from by just taking the perspectives of the creators literally and exploring the ideas. Um, though I think you could make the case that some of the theoretical, like in the in the the vulgar section about gore grind and porn grind, I think those genres, I impose this, way of looking at it by exploring the history of transgressive art. I think you could make more of an argument that that that's an idea that I'm imposing on the subject matter. Um, And I don't know if it's a stretch. Maybe it is. Um, I thought it made sense to me, but it it may not to other people. Um, So it's a good question.
0: Talk about um, uh, the harsh wall noise and how a lot of times the artists would kind of set up Uh, set up loop pedals and kind of just let it run go off do errands and then kind of come back and hit <laughs> stop um, yeah. but one thing I noted here you kind of linked that to um, the painting industrial painting by Pino uh, Gallito, if I'm pronouncing that correctly probably not Um I was wondering do you have any kind of uh, interpretation on the idea of A- uh, AI art and how that might influence uh, music uh, and culture I guess just going forward
1: yeah someone just asked me this question oddly earlier today. what do you like you know what do you think the future is for AI and music? Um I think in the short term, the area of music that's most likely to be affected will be like you know instrumental electronic algorithmic playlists that people listen to in Spotify as background music, like what what Eric Satie would call furniture music. like that stuff is ripe to be um it's 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 perfect to be developed by ai cuz the music doesn't involve acoustic instruments and there's no there's often no lyrics so i feel like that that's where we might see this um i think that a lot of music consumers are pretty invested in the personalities behind the music that they're consuming so it's hard for me to imagine the top 40 being dominated by ai music anytime soon except maybe like the odd novelty hit now and then um, and I also think people are pretty in, like, not everyone, but a lot of consumers of music are are invested in the acoustic sound of instruments, which I think is going to be a while before that um, that's replaced by AI. And also, I, I get the sense that maybe apart from some of the big popular artists, like a lot of musicians' revenue stream comes from um, live performance, like a live band and like... I can't imagine how AI will replace that, but I don't know, robots performing music, maybe. Um, well, though I, mean, I, guess, I like, guess
0: if it's, if it's AI, they, they wouldn't need financial, you know, backing.
1: <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just like, I don't know that it's going to put live musicians out of business, but sure. what do I know?
0: <laughs> so you don't, so it's not something you really worry about, I guess. Then. Cause like, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of artists are worrying about that. I think um, um, it's so, uh, some people are embracing it. I guess. I mean, it reminds me. I don't know why, but the link I think of is um, if you remember the the NFT craze, where it's like mm-hmm. it just seemed very divisive amongst um artists. Some people embrace it, some people had scorn for it. Um, and yeah, I think like AI is sort of in that similar field where it seems like everyone kind of has to have an opinion somewhat. But from your perspective, uh, you it's you don't really see it as affecting, I guess, at least in lives. So. And yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm hardly an expert um, in this topic. I've listened to some of the—I imagine you have too—some of the AI-generated music that the clips that have been produced, and and they're interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I guess at this point, I'd probably be more worried if I was a songwriter uh, or producer for like popular music than a live performer in a popular independent band um yeah
0: yeah and um when you were doing this book you interviewed various different artists from different genres and um as well as like um Record producers, obviously, um, and, and label owners, and obviously, from my perspective, I was very interested in the kind of the, the contrast between people who were doing the kind of um, regular jobs. You spoke to people who were like carpenters in like Italy, and you know, you spoke mm. to so many various people. I was wondering, like, do you, do you feel like um I, I don't know? I, I wonder, like, how did those interviews influence the direction of the book? and um, Did you have like a certain idea of of the beats of the book, let's say, and then did they kind of get? and um, rerouted once you, the interviews took place
1: yeah oh for sure the book would evolve as i'd learn more from the people i was interviewing because y- you like before you hear the words of the people behind the music you often carry all of these assumptions about where they're coming from and then you might be completely wrong right yeah. um so uh, when I, I would interview people i would always ask them whether it was an email interview or you know zoom or skype or whatever i'd ask um like tell me about your life outside of making music roughly how old are you what do you do do you family and i'd say like you can tell me as much as you want like respect your privacy but tell me what you can because um a big part of like when we hear about someone making harsh noise well and we know nothing about them we are our mental image fills out so much when we find out just a little bit about who this person is, right? Are they a 20 something university student? Are they a 40 something carpenter? Um, And it, it really, um, I just find like that helps us feel a sense of story, um, which is ultimately what makes most writing interesting, I think
0: yeah and, uh, and when you were talking about like the there's a lot also talk about some of the ethics of of some of these music like one of the um one of the big genres was um found tapes which mm-hmm. is essentially people going to, come to thrift stores or just picking up tapes in the middle of like a street or something or like a garbage can and you know you talk and, and it's, these are like people's diaries or they're people's, um, voicemail recordings or whatever and you know you kind of discussed the the ethics of that and and um, I was wondering do you think like um when you think of like people's privacy is that, is that in any way influenced by perhaps your occupation maybe you're a bit more sensitive to um confidentiality in that sense
1: Hmm. yes I mean that's definitely true that um I'm concerned about confidentiality of the information that I I come across at work I, I think so I mean I don't know you know one of the examples of the the found music was the those tapes by someone who obviously had some form of psychotic disorder and um would would kind of dictate these these um um, uh, monologues Uh, and then you know that was released as a, a piece of music that you could get through a record label Um, On one hand, it's not clear that the person didn't want the audio to be listened to. But on the other hand, you wonder about the person's sort of capacity to understand the situation. and and So, you know, there's an obvious ethical dilemma there because it's a potentially vulnerable person. um, And are people listening because they're interested in what the person's saying or because it's fascinating or funny or something to listen to, you know, someone's um, psychotic uh, monologue yeah so, so maybe that is something that I'm um, attuned to from my work but uh, like I feel like that's a that's sort of an obvious ethical question right yeah
0: well now with kind of public recording and, and YouTube and even Twitter and stuff like we do see that on a kind of mm-hmm. day-to-day basis and we see that we see the kind of ethics about that I mean like people do kind of defend and um, the people in the video yeah at the same time I think there is also a tendency to publicly laugh at people with clear mental health issues. I think of someone like a Kanye West or, or an Alex Jones, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, clearly people who need a kind of help but are entertaining in in the right amount of way, I guess. So people um I don't know, people still see them as kind of because they're public figures, they're kind of uh um I don't know, uh, they're kind of fair game, I guess.
1: Yeah. I guess the, you know, if someone is making public statements, if someone's putting up their own things on the internet, that's 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 a Bit different from finding a tape that wasn't meant to be publicly distributed, and publicly distributing it. Um, so I do think there's there's a difference there, um, and I guess the thing is people like Kanye West sort of drown out these obscure tapes from, like, <laughs> so you know, no one's, few people are paying attention to these tapes, fortunately, instead they're paying attention to the media cycle.
0: Yeah, but well, um, from your perspective, um, when you think about, I would, I'd like to get your pick your brain about the copyright of uh, aspect of it so you know one of the examples you gave in the found tapes was uh, someone who recorded their next door neighbors who um had alcohol issues and mm-hmm. recorded them having a uh, drunken kind of arguments and um, mm-hmm. particularly people who you know were in a strenuous relationship and simultaneously you know had had the kind of demon of alcohol the alcohol mm-hmm. addiction uh, attached to um yeah but simultaneously you can argue well the person who's the person who recorded that it's their copyright even and you know you can kind of debate the ethics around that i was wondering Mm -hmm. what do you think of the kind of copyright element of it and simultaneously now as as media is becoming so global you know there is no global standard for copyright i think this has been an issue ever since the pirate bay days and so yeah i was wondering how you think like issues like that will will kind of do, do you even think about issues like that i guess
1: yeah, I mean, copyright is law, right? And ethics are separate from the law. They don't they? Don't necessarily <laughs> aren't necessarily overlapping perfectly. Um, and so, when it comes to that recording, which again, the recording of the person who is intoxicated and trying to repair a piano and swearing. That was something that started off as like the local equivalent to a viral video before the internet, right? Like someone made a tape and then at some point someone burned it to CDR and sold it at a few local record stores. Um, That uh, the question of whether that's legal or not would depend, I think like on the jurisdiction, right? Like some States it's, it's legal to record someone without their knowledge. Some States it's not (laughs) um some countries it is some countries it's not um now that we're in a global world i don't know how lawyers would try to sort that all out um but the ethical question is a separate one and i think that's the type like in that particular instance this wasn't something that was meant to be spread widely but it inadvertently did become widely distributed um which, which is probably unfortunate to the person, although I'm not sure they ever were aware that this recording existed. Yeah. Um i think but it's yeah. also interesting
0: when you have these long-form recordings you see people's um reaction to it. i mean people who put out i forget the name of the record label but the people who put out a lot of those lost tapes like now kind of like oh, i probably wouldn't do it today and even the guy mm-hmm. that you were talking about the, the piano recording that was um i believe like a a neighbor fr- like it was a friend of a neighbor um mm-hmm. and he didn't even know about it until he was like watching a documentary on netflix and it popped up as like a, a an antique viral video yeah so it's, exactly. it's, it's interesting that kind. Of like I guess people think about it more now like we're always kind of told we all have a digital footprint and what we kind of put out there is kind of eternal but I guess back in you know the 80s and 90s 70s even um people weren't really thinking that long term and now you know I, I don't know it's, it's I think it's interesting that like even though these are kind of obscure tapes and CDRs they kind of persist still um throughout all this um, do you have any opinion on that or
1: yeah they've come kind of become cults cult objects right and I guess nowadays um like the majority of people are going to be they're going to want to see I don't know people getting into street fights on TikTok um few of I feel like few people um these days are going to sit down and listen to like a 20 minute poorly recorded audio tape of someone swearing in the other room It, it it doesn't have the same novelty um um so I I suspect these things really just um Appeal to a small number of people as as cult objects from a bygone time. Yeah. Um. Though I think they're interesting to explore since that's like it's sort of like the the prelude to viral videos, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, I guess like yeah. I I, I mean, I, I I I think a lot of a lot of the the things covered in the book. I think a lot of it comes down to kind of novelty um like you've also talked just gone base uh just gone off the music you actually talk about the physical releases of a lot of these albums and um, mm-hmm. the world's smallest albums world's longest albums you know and and that aspect too and um i, I think like in a way my sort of interpretation and maybe this way you're getting. to also you know you talk about like long form um like millennia long songs you know that are like going to be streaming from i think 1999 till 20 sorry 2999, and it's like i i feel like a lot of times this is just people's uh aversion to their own uh, mortality <laughs> it feels <laughs> like they want something that's kind of going to persist and be remembered and be documented in books such as yours do you think that's um do you think that's all there is or do you think there's there's more to it than that
1: yeah i mean i don't know that i I discussed that, uh, in the chapter. Um, but I think that's a good way of thinking about it, right? Like a, a sort of legacy, um, and, um, um, like a legacy item, something that will live beyond them in time. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um, I didn't have the ability obviously to, uh, interview John Cage, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, Interesting way of thinking about it.
0: Um, mostly your book, I think, is written in a very objective and and just kind of matter-of-fact way, uh, albeit a few a few choice adjectives to describe certain songs uh, every now and again. But you do at the end of certain chapters do a curation of um of the topic discussed. So you say here's some tracks or here's some albums to to I would recommend if you're interested in this. Um yeah, I was wondering like um you were saying it's not a very academic book, but I, th- I think in a lot of ways there is that kind of academic academic detachment, um, mm-hmm. and just like presenting things and not adding too much op- uh, personal opinion. So I was wondering, mm-hmm. like, um, why did you think it was important to kind of curate for for the audience?
1: Yeah, um, So you're wondering how I how I cho- chose what to curate. No, I was what, more so
0: wondering, um, yeah, why did you? Ch- Choose to curate to begin with because I feel like the the rest of the book has somewhat of a, of an objective approach,
1: right? Like a agnosticism, pretty much. Yeah. In the chapters where I identified specific, um, like specific records or things to check out, um, I I st- I think I still tried to take an objective stance. So I wasn't typically picking things that I thought sounded best. Um, I would be picking things that. Um, by kind of um, sussing out the expert consensus on a topic, these were the things that were recognized as being like historically uh, relevant or historically important. So an example being the speed core, um, the speed core uh, section, right? There's I think there's a, a list of some key records within speed core, splitter core, and extra tone. Yeah. Um, and not being a personal member of that scene, the way I came to those was by talking to people and, and trying to figure out like, what were the, what were the records that speed core fans or speed core artists consider important historically? Um, so, so that was the, the, that would often be the metric I would use, um, in order to select things. Um, I guess there was also the gore grind, um section and there i just chose the band names that were kind of the most absurdly long and specific and as someone who's also had medical training you know i was i think i was just sort of like tickled by all of this like arcane medical terminology being included
0: yeah i have to um, be honest when i read that section where you listening listing all the band names if so i did kind of just like you know my eyes rolled over a little bit <laughs> it was just so dense
1: yeah, it's like ridiculous, right? Like yeah. it's an absurd. I think the people who make it realize it's absurd and it's just a, a fun thing. But yeah,
0: do you think there's a lot of gallows humor too in in um, this pursuit? Because I was there were times where I was really laughing at like just some of the absurdity of some of the things. And like it's knowing absurdity. It's not like you accidentally stumble upon, you know, mm-hmm. making a record that would break your vinyl player, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was wondering like if you could expand on that. Like, did you did you find it humorous to to write about some of these things yourself?
1: Yeah, some things were really funny. I think most of the things were funny that were funny were were knowingly funny. Like the people creating them were trying to be absurd. And um, and so I never felt like I was laughing at someone. I always felt like I was laughing with someone um for the most part. The potential exception of some parts of the porn crime section, right? Um, uh, which even I like that's one place where my editorial objectivity shifts a bit and I yeah. kind of look and say like, you know, some of these things I object to on on right. ethical or ideological grounds um yeah,
0: you talk about the meat shits and you you say like these are homophobic like you know you're very objective about that you go like you know not, not objective you're very clear about that and you say like you know like let's not get it twisted here let's like like you know and mm-hmm. i think that's like i think that was important i think that's like important editorial stamping to go and go like let's draw a line the sound here of like you know you can debate good taste you can debate whether these records should be publicly available i mean you know mm-hmm. you, you can you can call something out for being discriminatory without necessarily calling for censorship i think some people lose sight of that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i think people like think uh i don't know anyone who who has a claim to like social justice is calling for censorship which is just absurd you know what i mean
1: the one thing i chose uh to not include in the book was like any music that was affiliated with nazi scenes white power scenes these these sorts of scenes um and just because there are, you know, there's examples of packaging, unusually packaged music and, you know, uh, within that genre, um, but it's just not something that, A, not something that I consider integral to the concepts of the book, uh, and B, not something that I like wanted to be in my book. So that was an editorial exclusion. Um, I think also I think
0: I... you probably want to spare yourself from having to listen to it
1: yes yes yeah (laughs) that is also true although i didn't you know i wouldn't have to listen to something to describe the packaging but yes that is a good point as well
0: but also i mean like you know do you think like because you were saying you were excluding like some of the the like far right um like extremist music um but do you think like even including that in the book is somewhat a tacit not endorsement but a, a tacit kind of um incentive to to Seek this music out to hear it for yourself. I I think because like when I read books about music, I always feel obliged to kind of make a playlist of what they're mm-hmm. talking about so that I can have a greater understanding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Do you do you feel yeah, that that's, way?
1: Sorry, part of it is that I didn't want like a I didn't want to explore myself and be it. Yeah, I didn't want to be disseminating it. Sure. Um Yeah, there is a good. There is actually a book about white power music uh, written by someone who's like. staunchly staunchly um, anti-racist but it it talks about the history and so that's also covered elsewhere. It doesn't really fit into the parameters of my book and it just made sense to exclude anything that overlapped.
0: How long was the process of actually uh, writing the book not necessarily even getting published just writing the book because I I, I see the the footnotes and you know I see the access dates and I'm I'm able to kind of get a picture of like okay this chapter you know I'm able to see it kind of folding. I think the
1: the first, the start, the first interviews I did were back in 2016. Um, and then it took place uh, while I was doing my residency training. So in like weekends and evenings, um, uh, up until 2020, uh, I finished it off, um, like at the peak of lockdown in between when I finished my residency and when I started working as a staff physician. Um, and then I submitted to publication then and, um, it took, like, that took a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: This is, um, is there any zest then to make any further publications or are you just kind of like, I I just want to get this out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have ideas for books that I think would be interesting um, topics. And I've even, like, done some some initial uh, interviews and research. Um, My job is very busy and I have... Uh, child and so my life is very busy so I have much less time than I used to to work on this Um, and uh, like my style was to to write the book without necessarily having a publisher and then see what like see if anyone was interested so that's probably the tack I would take the second time around as well because I don't I think it would be really hard to manage under a deadline Um, but then again you know Maybe all books will be written by AI in a few years. (laughs) There's no point.
0: (laughs) It make my job easier. Um,
1: (laughs) I think interviews are one thing that AI can't do. So, so you're safe. Interview based (laughs) writing. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, and I guess this last thing I'll ask is: you think? um, Do you see the the kind of art world, and not just music exclusively, but just art in general? Do you see it as kind of limitless potential? Um, And how do you think? writing this book has I guess influenced your uh, perception of I guess um the limitlessness of art
1: wow um it's a great question and a hard one to answer um is art limitless a lot of the a lot of the um one of the sort of things about a lot of extreme music is that it all becomes noise in the end <laughs> like yeah. all you know if you if you take something to the fringe it just turns into noise which you see in speedcore which you see in like loud music which you see in kind of in soft music like so um so so i don't know um are there a, an infinite number of ideas maybe or is a lot of music just um, stimulating permutations of like a constrained set of different parameters. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, but with that said, um, whether music is recycling old ideas and interpreting them in new ways or coming up with completely new things, um, it's always changing. It's always exciting. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what the future holds.
0: Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. Thank you. Aaron.
1: You too. I know.
0: Thank you for listening to that episode of postburnout.com interviews. We hope you enjoyed, and stay tuned for more.